Welcome to Life Snacks. This is a podcast on a mission to help a woman navigate post-grad life together through snack-sized stories, but life-changing advice. This is for every one of us out there dealing with the realities of life after college that no one talks about. For those of you that may be feeling lost, you are not alone. Join me on this journey to get to the bottom of the shit we weren't taught in school. We'll discuss health, wealth, relationships, careers, and how to truly create our greatest lives. We've got big visions and big missions, so we're breaking them down bite by bite to help you make your postgrad dreams a reality. I'm your host, Lauren Tierney, and let's get snacking. Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode. Today is December 6th when I'm recording this intro. This is the quickest podcast episode I have ever turned around. Um, You'll be hearing this tomorrow when it airs on December 7th. But it's December, and that means it's almost the end of the year. We literally have days left until it's 2022. And I want to share something with you all that a close friend shared with me today as we are kind of recapping our years and we can all be our biggest critics, right? And hard on ourselves. And she replied to my text and listed a bunch of things that I had done this year. And she said, Lauren, by anyone else's standards, you did the impossible this year. And in my eyes, not once yet had I thought about the things I did do this year. I had a list going of things I felt like I was bad at or I needed to improve on or goals I felt like I didn't meet. And we often all do this, right? We only focus on the negative things or the things we didn't do. We like live these glass half full lives when we think of our own goals. But then when we look at other people, we're like, oh no, you did, you did so many great things and we can, we can list them for them, but I can't even list my own, right? I can, but not in the way my friend did. So two things to share here. One, give yourself credit for how far you've come. It's not bragging. It's not being boastful. It is literally what you need to do because you probably have accomplished a lot of shit that you're not giving yourself enough credit for. And two, if you don't surround yourself with people that can give you the list of things you did this year that are rooting for you almost more than you are rooting for yourself, then level up your friend group next year. Level up the people you spend most of your time with because it's gonna change your life. If you surround yourself with people that are cheering for you and reminding you of your goals and how far you've come and how kick-ass you are and you're cheering for them too, that's gonna change your life and the way you view yourself and the way you get back up even when you fall down or when things aren't going well. So that's what I want to share with you as we're closing out the year, because I think it's important. And I think especially if you're a woman listening, we all do this. And it's so important to give ourselves grace and surround ourselves with kick-ass people. Jumping into today's episode, today our guest is Kara Golden. Kara is the CEO and founder of Hint. Hint is best known for its award-winning water, which is the leading unsweetened flavored water. I actually discovered Hint in, what year was that, 2019, 2018, when I first was working in the corporate office in San Francisco. Um, They call Hint like the drink of Silicon Valley, and it's not false. I used to drink probably 
eight to 10 hints a day because we had all the flavors, the sparkling ones, the regular ones, and it's literally just water. So it's such a great way to drink more water. And before I had Kara on the podcast, I actually was lucky enough to get a case of Hint Water and her new book, Undaunted, which I highly recommend you read. It's a story of her founding Hint Water, but it's also kind of a self-help book with tons of lessons woven in. So it's a great, easy read, and it's just a really incredible book. Highly recommend you get it. I'll link it in the show notes. But today we dive into Kara's journey building Hint and really her advice for young entrepreneurs and for young people in the workforce around not being complacent and really thinking about what they want. A big topic of this conversation today was that most people actually don't think about what they want and then they expect just this life and the things they want to fall into their lap. And Kara really offers some tangible ways to navigate thinking about what you want and really navigate those early career days and how she dealt with competitors and people saying no and telling her her product wouldn't work and companies like Coca-Cola coming out with copies of her product. This was such a great conversation. Kara is an incredible woman to learn from and I know anyone can benefit from listening. So without further ado, here's my interview with Kara Golden. Hi, Carol. Welcome to Life Snacks. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm great. I'm so excited to have you. I have to ask you the most important question first, which is what is your favorite snack right now? And what was your favorite childhood snack? That's so funny. Um, Gosh, I would have to say my favorite snack. You know, I've always been really into bananas as like crazy as that is like, that's like my go-to when I can't find anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, I love bananas. And, and I think, you know, it's funny because I even think about, I have to have real bananas um, for me. And uh, so definitely that, Um, I don't know. I, I would say back way back when probably Fritos were Mm -hmm. like up there. Um, I can't, I can't say that I eat them too much, but uh, actually Trader Joe's has a pretty good version of those. They do have a good copycat Frito. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are those are probably my my guilty pleasure. And um, yeah, so it's uh, I I can't say that I'm a huge snacker uh, as much as um, as or I guess I should say I don't call it snacking. I guess it's technically um, snacking, but people but something to kind of get me through the day. I really, I view food today as, as just energy, right? It's yeah. fuel. And, and so for me, it's just not, it's not even about calories or mm-hmm. like really just about how, how I feel. Absolutely. And I think that banana is probably going to be a little bit more helpful in how you feel than those Fritos. So that <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Exactly. All right, Carol, what did you think you were going to pursue as your career when you graduated from college? And what is it that you currently do today? So I was uh, I, I was a journalism major with a minor in finance. Uh, you mentioned you had read my book recently, so I talked a little bit about that. I always thought that I wanted to um, get into writing. I, I thought that the magazine industry was just so cool and and uh, ended up moving from Arizona where I grew up to New York uh, to hopefully get into the magazine industry. Uh, and I did get into the magazine industry, um, sort of not a straight 
uh, shot, not exactly what I wanted to do initially and sort of took a little bit of turn, but it worked out uh, and not really went into bigger media. Um, so then I was at CNN, which ended up then moving into tech as well. But I think I always more than anything wanted to work at something that I felt like I was not only passionate and interested in, but also that I was learning, um, which I think is is kind of an interesting sort of perspective where I, I sort of felt when I was graduating, unlike many of my friends, where they were just trying to go get a job. And I just thought, there's a lot of jobs out there, but if I'm not actually interested uh, in sort of what I would be doing on a day-to-day -day basis, I, I think in some ways I was mature about, yeah. you know, sort of thinking about, it wasn't just about the money. I thought, you know, I wanted to make a decent living so I could support myself, but I also felt like it was something that I needed to be passionate in. And then I think also that even morphed into more so around, around really educating um, myself and always be learning. And so I think for me, that's, that's been kind of a staple in my career that I've always just wanted to keep expanding on what I'm doing and keep learning and keep staying interested and energized by it. Um, I know that I'm also, I wouldn't have defined it when I was getting out of school, but what I really, really love doing is building. And mm -hmm. I love like, you know, I would say that the one thing that I'm not great at, or I should say I've never had experience doing it is like a turnaround situation. Like where some, where a company is like the underdog and you're trying to go out and, you know, make it um, sort of a, a different, you know, expand it and make it to be back on top again. I've never done that before. I think for me, the idea of, of building something from scratch uh, whether it's a new category as we did in building unsweetened flavored water um, or actually building a company. That's where I, I just love the thinking that the, um, the kind of creativity that's needed, but also the execution that's needed to really grow something from zero to something that's bigger. So you did a lot of learning because you went from tech to the beverage industry. And can you tell us a little bit about that transition and really what the mission behind Hint was for those who haven't tried the water? Yeah. So I started out in the early days of, of tech uh, in the 90s when uh, I ended up getting a, a role with a little startup that was five guys, not in a garage, but in a small <laughs> office that they had all worked at Apple, they had worked with Steve Jobs. Uh, I did not work with Steve, but I was mesmerized by kind of their thinking of, you know, we're going to get ready for the next iteration when uh, the speed of the internet will be faster. Um, because there were, you know, as you can imagine, people connected to the internet through the telephone lines. Like if you were on, um, I mean, it's crazy to think about it now, but you, you couldn't be on in your house a telephone or you couldn't have your brother, you know, get on the phone and be on the Internet. You'd be disconnected. And so there was this thinking that really Steve was totally thinking about it, that when the speed of the Internet becomes broadband or becomes, you know, better, 
then that's when a lot of great things will happen. But in the interim, put all of the graphics onto this disk and tell consumers to insert their disk into the computer. So I was kind of, I, I thought they were way ahead of where most people were. That's what I ended up uh, getting a job doing, running their business development and running their business development for this product. It was called Two Market that uh, I had no technology experience. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, you know, I truly had my own walls up around me, um, kind of almost convincing people not to hire me to go and do this crazy thing because um, I had no experience in the industry. But what I realized is that, you know, experience and your ability to sort of get up every day and keep figuring out how to make something happen um, is it, it is the latter is what's much more important than actually the experience. And sometimes when you don't have the experience, when you don't really know what you're doing, when you don't have a roadmap, that's when you can actually, um, you know, make a lot more progress and sort of ignorance is bliss sort of that more than anything else. But, um, I was responsible for uh, getting all these retailers, all J. Crew and The Gap. And I mean, I loved shopping and that was all I knew about it. Um, and so for me, when I went and did that role, I was willing to ask a ton of questions. Uh, and that's kind of how I found success. We ended up, uh, one of our investors was America Online. They acquired our company. And then I was uh, part of the acquisition, was asked to come and run something called shopping on America Online. So I ran that for seven years. And uh, when I left, it was a billion dollars in revenue to America Online. And basically, I, it's funny because I loved tech. I didn't even know if I really called what I did tech because I didn't really have to understand kind of the backbone of what I was doing. Like I, I would be able to, you know, sit in a meeting and be humbled by everything that I didn't know and be willing to, you know, learn about a lot of different things. So I would sit in the room with engineers. I wouldn't know how they got from point A to point D, but I was interested. I was fascinated. I knew that what they did was an important component to what I ultimately wanted um, to get done. And so I think it was, it was, I was at a point in 2001 where I was starting to feel like there were so many roadblocks around technology that really weren't allowing me to sort of do what I wanted to do. And I also had a family. I had uh, two kids at the time, a third one on the way. And I thought, maybe I should go do something else. I wasn't even thinking about like leaving to go to another tech company. I just wanted to take a break and spend some time with my family and kind of think more than anything. I never thought that I would become an entrepreneur. Or I think other people maybe thought that I would go and start my own thing. I mean, again, I'm in Silicon Valley, so I'm surrounded by a lot of people, but I didn't have this idea for like a tech idea. But when I was looking at how I was enabling my children to be as healthy as possible, that's when I started coming up with these ideas for, um, you know, making sure that 
they had the right baby food, they had all of the right things that they needed. And then there was some crossover one day when I started to think about how I really wasn't as authentic as, um, as you know, maybe I, I was seeming to be around, you know, making sure that all of their food was great, but here I was putting crap into my body, you know? And, and it was at that moment when I thought, well, here I am drinking my diet soda, Diet Coke in particular, and it's really not that great for me, probably. There's a lot of ingredients in here that I don't understand. And so I, I really started thinking if I could ch- make those changes, maybe I could even clear up some of my own health issues. Um, and I never really thought that diet sweeteners were bad for me. I don't know, like 17 yeah. years ago, Nobody was even thinking that there was any question yeah. with diet sweeteners. That was healthy, like diet. You were like making the healthier choice. And I think maybe I, I sort of laugh at it now because maybe it was, I was also kind of going through this time where I felt like where I was smart and I was taking a break, but I would think about just that, that here I am drinking diet, thinking that it's better for me and it, it might not be. Mm-hmm. And so I started to do some tests on myself and started to eliminate diet sweeteners from my life. And, you know, I'll tell you, friends of mine, I would share when they would ask me, like, how did you lose all this weight? How did you, um, you know, clear up your acne on your skin? I really started to talk about the things that I was putting in my body that for years I didn't question but when I started to actually make the shift away and I didn't really know why they were working, but it worked, mm-hmm. that's when my curiosity, my, um, you know, my sort of ability to kind of research things, my ability to kind of, you know, dig deeper to try and figure those things out was really kind of cropping up really organically. And, and so in order to, find something to drink. Now that I wasn't drinking my diet Coke anymore, I started slicing up fruit and throwing it in water um, because I never really liked the taste of water. I just, I never drank it. Uh, I, you know, knew I should drink it in order to stay hydrated, but I never did. So it was really kind of a tool for me to put fruit in it, but I didn't want preservatives. I didn't want the sweeteners in it. And then I thought it was such a hassle to actually do what I was doing. Um, I had to go get fruit. It would go bad after a day. And so I went to my local Whole Foods and saw that it was not this product I developed in my kitchen wasn't on the shelf. And I thought, well, maybe I could just get it on the shelf and see what would happen. And, you know, fast forward, the company that I founded is, is, 17 years, almost 17 years later, it's, uh, you know, the largest privately held non-alcoholic beverage in the country, in the U.S. that doesn't have a relationship with any of the soda companies. So pretty powerful. Yeah, I know I first discovered Hint and you talk about this in your book. It was literally the drink of Silicon Valley. And that was my first like in the office. I drank like nine, 10 hints a day. And I think so many people that worked in the Valley had that experience, which is just so cool. And your brand is known for that story you just told, right? People really connect it to your mission behind the brand, which is helping people drink water and move away from the diet sodas and artificial sweeteners. 
I want to ask you, do you think that you have to have your brand mission identified before you start out? Or how has that mission really evolved as the brands evolved? Yeah. I mean, I think that today I, I didn't even call the hint a, a mission founded company. Mm-hmm. I, I knew that there was a why because in order for me to invest my time and invest my, you know, frankly, my money um, to actually getting it off the ground, I really felt like there had to be a why. And there really was this mission there that, you know, it wasn't until a few years later after founding it that people were like, this, this drink has purpose. I mean, this changes things, it disrupts things. I mean, it was crazy thinking back on it because probably two months after launching the drink, I started to realize that it was really hard to get shelf space in the supermarkets and primarily because there was nobody else in our category. So um, anybody who's, I had never really thought about uh, the the concept of launching. I just wanted to launch a new company. Um, Once I had sort of gotten my, you know, nerve up to actually go and launch this, but I never really had thought about, I want to go launch a new category. And frankly, I think it's really rare that people think about that when they're starting a company. And, but, you know, the key differentiator is if you're the only one in the cat, in, in your, in your industry doing what you're doing, which was in our case, unsweetened flavored water. um, The challenge is when you go to buyers at, you know, store shelves are trying to get on store shelves. The key thing that they would say to me is like, who else is in this category? And I'd say no one. I mean, that's what's so great about it. And yet the hard thing is, is that when you're the only one, they don't want to give you the space because they're not sure whether or not it's going to be big enough. And so that, and this is really true in any category, right? When you come up with something you know, call it innovation, but unless it actually has a few competitors, that it it will take longer to build it. Um, You know, you may not be able to actually get shelf space if you're relying on on stores to actually stock your products so the consumers can buy it. I think in many ways, D2C has changed that for so many brands. Um, But I think that going back to your original question around the mission, I think that one of the ways that we were able to get people to understand what we were doing so that we could organically grow our category was really to tell the story of the why and what was the mission and what was the purpose. And that has, you know, really helped people to understand why they would purchase the product and and consume it and uh, and invest in it and all of those things. Yeah. And you talk about in your book how there was no one in the space in the beginning. Right. And then there was people with really big names at these big beverage companies that popped up and tried to compete. And I thought it was so interesting because I had never thought about this way. But you were like, at first, we were kind of worried about these competitors. But then we just realized they helped us grow out the, the category. Totally. And I'd love to hear how you how you navigated having competitors and copies and things that came up in the industry and how someone that's starting a business on their own should look at competitors when they are copying or replicating their products. Yeah, I mean, I think that the key thing is, is like, you know, when it first was happening, it was it was hard. Right. You think, oh, my God, these people 
who are the giants are coming in and they're going to, you know, kill me tomorrow and, and overtake it. And in many cases, what we saw was that they would come in and they would actually want to take a chess piece off the table in stores. And that's the challenge, especially in the beverage industry and in the CPG industry as well, where, you know, your relationships with the buyers need to be good. But then in addition to that, um, you know, you've you've got these grandfathered in businesses that have been in there for a long time. So in many cases, they're like category captains where um, they will actually have a relationship where they're going to pay a retailer lots of money, millions of dollars. So they have a lot more decisions about what is actually going on the shelf. They'll have more space than anybody else on the shelf. And so that's what was happening to us. Like as we were continuing to grow when we were young, what we were seeing was that, you know, a lot of these big guys knew that we were around. And so they were starting to come in. We were excited that we were getting traction, but then they were coming in and disrupting us by basically saying, well, we're going to do our version of unsweetened flavored water and you don't need hint. And so I was devastated, right? And I think like the only way that you can actually, uh, you know, really help yourself when those kind of situations happen uh, is something that I share with entrepreneurs in every industry. It's like always diversify, right? Even when you go and get that, you know, the greatest thing that ever happened, um, distribution out there, always know that if it goes away tomorrow, that you have options, right? And so that was kind of, you know, hit number one for me where I was really faced with, oh my gosh, we're getting discontinued from this major retailer. Now what do I do? But um, what happened six months later was that that retailer then came back to us and said, you know, that big guy who had come in, um, they, they don't want to do the category anymore. And so we still have customers that really want the unsweetened flavored water. And so we'd love to bring you guys back in. And we had actually put aside more space than when you left six months ago. And so you not only um, are getting your space back, but you're gaining space. Totally the opposite of what I thought would, you know, potentially happen. So uh, so definitely something that I think, you know, whether you're in the snacks industry or you're in the beverage industry or frankly, any other industry, it's like it, it, things don't just because you get kicked out of someplace, um, just because uh, you feel like a, a big retailer is, is um, you know, removing you because maybe a large uh CPG company is coming in and taking over your space. That doesn't mean that you can't figure out a way back in there or uh, more than anything. What I saw was that they expanded the brand. Yes, they did decide not to do it. But during that time, during that six month time, what happened was that other companies were starting to do innovation. So there was a lot more um, there were a lot more players and especially when the big guy went out, we were the largest. In fact, Hint is still the largest in the unsweetened flavored water category. We created the category and we, and, and we still are the largest. So it doesn't, it, it's sort of counter to what I ever thought could happen. I guess, you know, again, being an entrepreneur, 
Um, I had never really, I was really focused on just starting a business. And, but again, it, once competition comes in, it actually can be a good thing. It's interesting because some of this competition were people that had given you or they worked for companies of people that had given you advice in the early days. And I want to talk about how to navigate taking people's advice in general when it comes to your ideas, your careers, all of it, especially as a young woman early in my career, you know a lot of us face different advice. Everyone thinks you should have a different path. You should start something you shouldn't. How did you take in all the advice you received, but also like not let those negative advice where they said, no one wants unsweetened water. How did you not take that to heart and really listen to yourself and the belief you had in your company? Yeah, I think for me, having a connection with customers early on and always you know, today we call it engagement, right? Mm -hmm. And I think you can get engagement by uh, responding to customers, whether it's on a, you know, customer service line or, um, you know, literally like being the customer service line in the beginning and kind of hearing what consumers would, would ask. I mean, believe it or not, many times on those customer service calls and again they can come calls or emails or whatever they're not just asking about an order and you know why it hasn't been received or that that there's a problem there's a lot of those calls that come in where people are actually sharing their story of how you know they love the product etc um but and then that expanded i think over into social and and frankly why I'm I'm uh, so bullish on on being on having a social platform too, where you can engage with consumers because I think so often that's where a lot of large companies kind of lose their way because maybe they're a hundred year old company, nobody knows who the founder is anymore, um, and you know they just don't really have any way to actually have good engagement um, with the consumer. And I think that engagement creates trust. Engagement creates um, feedback, right? And so when you have those days where you've got doubters or hard challenges or whatever it is, you, you think back on those emails, on those conversations that you had with people that are telling you how your brand has help them. It's not just about that they love the product. And I think this goes back to, you know, your comment about mission-based companies too. When you do a mission-based company that has meaning and purpose, not just to you, but to others, it's a powerful thing. I, I tweeted about this actually a few weeks ago. I have tons of um, merchandise that says hint on it, my luggage, my jackets, you know, and, and my mask. And I was going through an airport in New Orleans and I had like four people come up to me while I was going through the airport to talk to me about their experience with the brand. That's like a powerful thing. I mean, how many brands have you touched in your lifetime, right? And be able to have somebody take their time to walk up to me to talk about their own experience with the Hint brand uh, is, is such a powerful thing. And again, the mission, it started with me just trying to find a drink that actually was cleaner, that didn't have the sweeteners in it. But I feel like 
so many of the stories that I hear from people all kind of relay into, into that as well, but people relying on the strength to help them change their health in some way, whether it's maintain their, um, their insulin levels and, and control their type two diabetes or people who have been cancer patients who the only way that they got through the chemotherapy treatments was to drink a product like Hint. Really powerful stuff that, again, you know, to think that it was just about me trying to get to, to like water. Yeah. Uh, it means something else to other people. And that brand continues to expand. So in your book, you talk about this moment that I think a lot of our listeners could relate to or could hope to relate to. And it's when you show up at Fortune magazine and you ask for a job. And you also talk about showing up at Whole Foods in your book, asking to put the water on the shelves. And I have to ask you, were you always this confident in your ability to ask for the things you want? I think especially as women, we struggle to ask for the raise, to ask for the promotion. Like what advice do you have around confidence for young women? You know, it's a, it's a great question. I think being the last of five, I, I learned early on that if I didn't ask, I wouldn't get, right? And so it was, uh, it was definitely you know, everything from my mom taking me to gymnastics. If I didn't ask her if she could take, she could give me a ride, it wasn't going to happen. Right. Like it. And so I think that parlayed into the rest of my life that I just realized that if I, that I had to speak up, I had to tell people what I wanted to do. And if I didn't, then I couldn't complain. And I think that that's something that I share with you know, not just women, but all people in general. It's just that, again, it may not go your way, uh, you, but if you don't actually tell people what you want and you go along with what they want to do, then don't complain about it, right? You have to actually use your creativity, um, use your persuasion um, in many ways to be able to say, here's what I really want to do. And you'd be surprised at, how often people don't do that to your point um, and you be the differentiator in the world. Um, and, and I think, you know, again, it's not always going to work out and you have to be able to, um, to really share what, what you want. I think so often people don't even know what they want though. They don't think about what they want either. And they expect that, you know, those things will come to them. Yeah, like fall on their lap. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's it's interesting. It's something I've thought a lot about, too, that you don't rely on other people to actually, you know, make your life better, mm-hmm. right? right? And yeah. maybe they should give you that promotion that, you know, you so well deserved. But, you know, if, if maybe they're thinking about 10 other things, 10 other people, and unless you actually... Th- speak up and actually tell people. And again, I don't think it has to be something that you have to get angry about either. You just are, you're just telling people what you want. And, you know, something else I always tell people too, is with telling people what you want. uh, I, I think you're putting stakes in the ground too. You start to think about it, but it's better than being eaten alive, but, but eaten up by, you know, this anger or this feeling that you're getting ripped off in some way or something's not happening. 
for you. I think that, you know, that with putting stakes in the ground comes this confidence and comes this feeling of, well, if this isn't going to happen, if I'm not going to get that raise, um, if I'm not going to get that ride to gymnastics, whatever it is, then you think, well, what's plan B? You know, what's, what else could happen? And I think that that's something that I think people really need to think about as well. I love this point in your book that you talk about when you're talking about your employees, once they feel complacent in a role, or even just like, you're like, once they get good at a role, it's time for them to move on to the next role because you don't want people to just be complacent and go to work and do the job and stop continuing to innovate. And I think that was such a good point for a lot of people that are young in their career that maybe got that first job or second job. And they're like, well, it it pays well and I can kind of do it well, but I don't really like it. I think so many people have those experiences in the early days of their career. And what advice would you offer them around looking for the things that they are interested in or understanding how to make a pivot? Yeah, well, I think that with experience, uh, you know, and, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you're mastering anything, but you're just seeing a lot more. Take those different chapters in you know, your book of life and figure out what you liked about those things, what you didn't like about those things, what, what you're curious about too. And I think like the biggest challenge is actually finding, figuring out what you are really interested in doing, what motivates you every single day. I always found that I happen to surround myself with people, my closest, um, you know, people that I hang out with don't do what I do. And, and it's it's so interesting to me and I'm interested in having, you know, conversations with them. I have a ton of friends that are lawyers, for example. I'm not a lawyer, but I'm really intrigued by it. I'm interested in it. It doesn't mean that I'd want to do it every single day. But again, like when you when you surround yourself already in your life with people who are doing different things and things that you're curious about, you start to think about, well, maybe there's something that I don't know how to do that I'm really curious about. And then you try and figure out how to find those things. And that could be in your company that could be outside of your company. But again, if you only have a certain amount of time, right. As we all do, do you want to be known for doing those things and not being able to try certain things? And I think, that holds true in your business life and in your personal life. And you start to really get a little selfish about it and try to figure out, you know, what is it that I'm curious about that I don't know how to do? I don't even know what it's called, right? Yeah. But you, There's so many jobs out there you might not even know exist because you haven't I mean, looked yeah, into like, it. Just as an example, I mean, probably one of, you know, the hottest jobs today is like supply chain. I mean, yeah. And that used to be, I don't know, it just doesn't sound like a very, you know, sexy, exciting job. And that today is very complicated, right? And I was just speaking with somebody, um, a CEO of a company, and a lot of her manufacturing is done in Europe. Well, you know, this whole pandemic has changed the world about figuring out, like, how do you manage risk? How do you you know, figure out if there's a pandemic in another country, but not in yours, where you've got shutdowns, how does it affect your business? Like there's, there's just, you know, it's really interesting. 
And, and I think, again, it doesn't mean that it's, uh, it, it, I think roles change, roles get created too. And, and I think that you just have to figure out exactly, um, you know, what those things are. Maybe also, maybe you're doing a role in one industry and then you take that role, you feel like you've kind of maxed out of your company, or maybe you're not really interested in the other companies that sort of are, you know, doing this in your industry. Maybe you take what you know in your industry and you take that into another industry, right? Or, you know, that's exactly what's needed. I mean, that's how a lot of innovation comes when people take their experience from one industry and bring it into another industry to make it better. And so I think it's, it's being creative, being, um, you know, being willing to, to learn from people and talk to people. I talked about this before. I mean, I think social media today, especially like on LinkedIn, learning about, you know, you have so many leaders that are on that are actually sharing um, you know, their own experience about what they know. And there's lots of different, you know, podcasts that are on are getting interviewed as well. So I think that that's a great place to learn too, about like, how does this, after you listen, after you, you know, read from what somebody talks about, then try and figure out like how that could apply to your life and, you know, journal about it or, Start making notes about, oh, that's really interesting and try and just learn as much as you can because you just never know where that's going to lead you. I love the two points you offered. One, being interested. I think that is advice that's come up on this podcast a ton, just like being interested in other people, talking to people, understanding what it is they do. You can learn so much from it. And then also what you said at the beginning, like most people don't know what they actually want or what they're looking for. And if you don't take the time to journal and think about it, how are you ever going to figure it out? Cause it usually doesn't fall in your lap. Right. Totally. And I think that that's so key. And somewhere along the way, I've thought a lot about this somewhere along the way too. I feel like, you know, we go to school and, you know, we're sort of forced at some point, especially when we're asked to do a major where we're deciding like the, path and we sort of get stuck there because you want to go and jump into an industry and take a job and and then you start to think well I've got experience there so it's easy for you to go in one direction but easy doesn't necessarily mean where you're supposed to be right it might but it's also you know start to look around at at you know different ways because again even you know my first job you talked about Fortune magazine. I wanted to work at Fortune. They weren't going to hire me, but inside the building, there was Time magazine. And uh, I had never thought about working at Time magazine, but again, it was a business publication. It was, um, you know, definitely uh, not writing about finance necessarily and, and focused on that, but it was, it was close. Right. And so that allowed me to go and, you know, move on to, learn about, you know, television and some of the other stuff that I did too. So I think just, just leaving yourself a little bit open, like make decisions based on, um, you know, what you want to do today and what you think you're going to go do. No longer is it about, you know, having a job and being there forever either. I think instead just go in and figure out um, not only how long, you know, you're interested in the company, but also 
like, are you maxing out on sort of what you can give to a company too? I mean, that's sort of a whole other thinking too that I always believed was so important. You know, a hint is that when people are coming in and they're giving a few years and they decide to go, I mean, something Ted Turner said to me at CNN many, many years ago was that when people say that they're leaving, um, let them leave, right? Like that decision has been going on for a long time in their head. And, you know, the best you can do is ask them to, um, to kind of leave with their head held high, um, you know, with the same excitement that they had going into a job. Um, but I think that, you know, more than anything, being thankful and grateful for somebody share like doing great work for you for a few years it just let it like let it go right let it where it's meant to be and let them continue to shine and and uh and do other things because i think that that's a, such an important point that's such a beautiful way of putting someone leaving a company that i've never heard it put that way I want to ask you my final question, and it is, what advice would you give to the Kara that had just graduated from college? I think at, look at every step along the way as, uh, as, as really a step towards bigger and better things. And what did you learn along the way? Uh, be able to look back on, on, where you were when you came to that step and maybe how much you feared, how much you, um, how much you weren't sure whether or not you're going to be able to achieve. And you did all of those things I think are so, so critical and that it's a long journey, right? And you have to, don't be in a race, um, you know, make the right decisions along the way, uh, practice kindness, surround yourself by kindness as well. And, uh, and I think more than anything, when you do that, that's what, that's what success is at, at the end. People who are, you know, not as, not as happy, not as fulfilled are really the people that are not practicing those moments where, of appreciation, of gratitude, of kindness. That's beautiful advice. Thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom with us today. Where can our listeners connect with you and purchase Hint Water? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Kara Golden uh, with an I all over social. And uh, also uh, Hint is on drinkhint.com or on Amazon and uh, and definitely available in, in stores all over the U.S. as well. So, uh, but thank you so much. And hopefully you'll also get a chance to pick up a copy of my book, Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters. It's really the journey of, of building Hint and some of the stuff that we talked about today, but hopefully you'll get a chance to read it and then let me know what you think. I'll link all that in the show notes. Thank you, Kara. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kara. Be sure to check out her book, Undaunted, and also her podcast. It's all linked in the show notes. And if you haven't tried Hint Water, it is so fucking good. And I recommend you get your hands on some. 
Don't forget to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. I'm a broken record, but I'm still here to remind you to leave that rating and review, so I'd be so grateful for it. And that's all for me. I'll be back next week with another episode.